somewhere between waking and sleeping. On our journey towards the unfathomable deep, there comes a thin moment where we have one foot in the waking world and the other in that other world where we relinquish conscious control, pausing here and straddled between two planets that drive one another like gears, the attentive traveller will notice a narrow door only wide enough to slide through. This is the border of sleep, where imagination and reality are braided together, a chasm in the crust of consciousness, venting the hot pumice of imagery into the irresistible magma of narrative. Welcome to episode 37 of Stories from the Borders of Sleep back after a long hiatus and hopefully becoming more regular through 2018. This is a podcast of curious tales from bordersofsleep.com. It features original stories by your host, Seymour Jacklin. You can visit bordersofsleep.com for more information or to leave some feedback. And we have a Facebook group as well. Artwork by Robin Trainer. Production is by Tim Wiles. And the soundtrack for this week's episode is from the Paul Whiteman Orchestra, some very old recordings, and Elizabeth Welch. This podcast is also available on iTunes. So, if you're ready to journey with me, then I shall begin. Poor Butterfly by Seymour Jacklin Tearing down the dotted line That's how Effie described Griselda's driving, but that's not just how she drove. She always wanted a foot either side of any line she could find. Or here was a girl who walked on the cracks in the pavement, daring the bogeyman to bite her. If there was a gap, she'd fill it. Between was Griselda's safe. All this was there when Griselda remarked to Effie that she felt torn. Effie watched one stockinged foot as she twirled it over the chair arm looking at her ankle from different angles. She waited for Griselda to go on. Usually she'd talk herself to where she needed to be, given a companionable silence and the odd understanding nod. Elsie Baker's high-throated tremolo emitted from the wireless, strangulated by the airwaves. Poor butterfly, neath the blossoms waiting. Carl is like a butterfly, really, said Griselda. He's not poor, exclaimed Effie, but he's so delicate. He's delicate but industrious. Most of them, if they have means, to just become fops and boulevardier. He'd be busy and away a lot. He'd give me space, Griselda mused, but he'd never let me work. Griselda pictured herself as a butterfly too, chloroformed and pinned to a collector's board, lustre fading like she'd seen happen with so many girls. It wasn't anybody's fault, really, just the fate of so many mademoiselles emerging from the cocoon of a continental education into a society that was not ready for them. You wouldn't need to work, said Effie. Besides, you'd not exactly be going into it empty-handed, Gigi. She was referring to her friend's dowry. Gigi preferred not to think about it. Smelt of chloroform to her. I could always get a manager for the bookstore or sell it, she said, running through her second and third options in order. But it was her first option that stayed unvoiced. She breathed out long between pursed lips and ran her eyes over the bookshelves that filled three of the corners of the little summer house where they were lounging. What did you say they called this place, she asked. 
Rinshi me something, said Effie. See you? No, Rinshi me. It sounds Japanese. It was quite a find. The girls had come through Warakoma and turned left, where the road continued round the ridge or over the brow and down towards the coast through Ardua. Gigi had both hands atop and elbows abottom the steering wheel of the 1925 Studebaker, steering it with both forearms and watching the road. Effie spotted the roof of the little summer house above a steep roadside bank as they descended through Ardua. Stop, Gigi, stop the car, she cried. On scrambling up the bank, the two found themselves looking at a little octagonal building with a green shingled roof and shutters invitingly open. Bathed in light and strung with the strains of a wireless programme, empty but welcoming. Effie read the sign above the door. Rinshimi Reading Room. They had kicked their shoes off and arranged themselves in the armchairs, glad of a spot to rest and sensing that whoever the place belonged to had probably left it open to be enjoyed. Griselda sensed a gap, a middle ground, just here, somewhere between the funerals and the suitors they'd left behind, and the broad ocean to which they had been heading, and she was determined not to leave until she'd made a decision between her dowry and her inheritance. Effie didn't mind. It was her idea to get away from it all. But Gigi had borrowed the car and chosen the destination. Effie was happy to tag along with her friend. Of course, they'd had the most fun buying hats for the occasion. Effie chose a tan cloche that flared over her left ear and sported a fan of scrolled felt pinned with a pearl and slightly reminiscent of a Greek warrior's helmet. Gigi pretended to be undecided, but bought a boater with a red and navy band. For a gentleman cousin's birthday, she said. Getting away from it all was a spiffing idea. Griselda had lost her grandmother and grandfather weeks apart. Dear to her, it had blown holes in her life, wide emptinesses that only the wind would fill. And then came the news that Grandpa, dear Grandpa, had written his bookstore and all his stock over to her in his will. And Carl's sweet attention had started to perforate the little equilibrium she'd felt, the late summer evening when they'd just talked for several hours, forgotten or deliberately left alone by others. That had unpicked a few seams. The boater now lay on the coffee table between them. Typical Gigi. Grandpa knew me too well, I think, Griselda mused. God, the smell of books. She breathed deeply and exhaled again. It took her back a decade and back to her grandfather's shop. In the few seconds it took to breathe out, she replayed the whole summer she'd spent helping Grandpa with his books. Above all, she remembered how he fussed around some of the customers, sizing them up like a tailor for a suit and fitting every one to the perfect book. Then there were others who he'd leave alone. He'd lay a hand on her arm and press one finger to his lips and they'd stay quiet and out of the way. She read for herself, oh yes, fervently, but best of all she learnt to read people. Like a mouse peering out through a crack in the floorboards, she'd watch their movements around the shop until she knew what they were looking for better than they knew themselves. Effie held her crochet scarf in front of her face and peered at her friend through the holes. I see you, she said playfully. I see me too, said Griselda, looking at Effie, suddenly desperate, imploring. I see me in the gloom at the back of the shop. It feels safe. 
The walls are made of books. I hear the bell on the door tinkle. Some wonderfully eccentric old man has come looking for a particular author, and I'm running my fingers over the spines. Griselda jumped up and stood by one of the bookcases theatrically. Sir, I believe I have something here, since you mention it. She picked a book at random and held it out in front of her, as if proffering it to her imaginary customer. What's that? said Effie, squinting at the cover. She read out loud. Lepidoptera of Northern Palilla. It's... Griselda flipped it open. The colour plate showed its face. It's butterflies, she whispered. The girls looked at each other. Griselda felt herself bursting like a tube of glue and running into a newfound crack. She knew what she must do. This place had spoken. She snapped the book shut and replaced it. Then she swept the boater off the table and pushed it onto her head at a drunken angle. Effie, she said, almost shouted. Say hello to the owner and manager of Griselda's Goodreads. You'll change the name? Effie asked. Of course. What about Carl? Someone else can change their name for him, said Griselda. Oh, Gigi, said Effie, glad to have her friend back. Griselda stood in the doorway with her hands on her hips. On the slopes below the reading room, vines marched in file like a guard of honour. She stepped out with an air of a bride emerging from a chapel, and the breeze bore to her the scent of the ocean without a whiff of chloroform about it. Tears, she murmurs low. The moon.